This is the Career Realities Podcast with me, Ethan Crane. A series of interviews that tries to uncover the realities of 9-to-5 careers in various professions, however good or interesting they look from the outside. And to find out from my interviewees how they came to discover and do the work that they truly value. These Career Reality interviews are a compliment to my book, The Tyranny of Careers and the Joy of Work. More essays and information on the book can be found at www.ethancrane.com. That's C-R-A-N-E. Thank you for listening. Uh, This week I'm joined by writer William Shaw. William is a fiction writer and journalist who's written for The Observer, Times and Independent and now works as a crime writer. So, William, what I usually ask people at the beginning of uh, the podcast is, have you always called yourself a writer for the whole of your working career? Or... (laughs) I always wanted to call myself a writer, but I was always right. too ashamed. I called myself a journalist for most of it. You know? Okay. Yeah, I think once you say you're a writer, you sort of imply that you're you're doing something completely under your own steam. Right. Um, uh, which I quite fancy, you know, but, but I think I can call myself a writer now. You can't, well, yeah. because you're now <laughs> yes. primarily I, I, doing that. Yeah. That's, that's what's earned my living for the last few years, which is lovely. So, so how long has that been that you've actually called yourself a writer for? Uh, since uh, about 2012. Okay, so then that's when you've been doing your crime fiction since that's then. That's when the, the yeah. crime fiction sort of paid for. That's when I, you know, that's when it sort of took over my income. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So when you back when you first started, when you were a journalist before, mm. were you always just doing journalism? Did you go into journalism straight away, like from school and, and college, or? Were yeah, you doing I went before? from college in the. You know, I'm I'm really old, so it was like in the 1980s. There was lots of journalism back then. People were opening new magazines by the day. And, you know, they were, if you went into Smith's, there would be like shelves and shelves and shelves of magazines. And it was just like, you know, literally you could walk on off the street and get a job in a magazine, which I did. I was, I was I, After I finished college, I went and did a, a sort of diploma in, in journalism. And the, the course was so appalling. Uh, and I just walked out the, down the road and there was a magazine called Zigzag, which was a punk magazine. And sort of went in there and the guy said, oh, can you do some work for us? And within like about a month, I was the assistant editor. Well, you actually just went in the door yeah. and talked to them. Right? <laughs> well, you found out their address and knew yeah. where they were. Yeah. Right. So that was but the entry to journalism. It was like, it yeah. was a little gold rush time and yeah. they don't come around very often. And, you know, journalism's been the opposite of that for many years since. At the time, yeah. literally anybody could call themselves a journalist and get paid. Unlike these days, you know, people were paying. It wasn't immense. I mean, I can remember, you know, like my first... Uh, I think I got 60 quid for my first article, but, you know, yeah, people are still getting 60 quid yeah, for an article yeah. many years later. I think delighted you know. to get 60 pounds for an yeah. article nowadays, yeah. yeah. So, so you, you actually did go and do a diploma in journalism, yeah. but, but... I dropped you, out. You dropped, yeah. <laughs> dropped out to start your own magazine, yeah, or to, to work yeah. for a magazine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, actually, the, the sort of training that you didn't get on the on the course was kind of irrelevant really was they it? told me a few brilliant, yeah. there was a brilliant i can remember there was a brilliant old fleet street guy who was immensely fat went at 12 o'clock he'd say it's time for lunch and we all went down to the pub and he'd start drinking brandy he, he chain smoked cigars actually inhaling them and he was just like one of these old school guys but he had some words of wisdom just about you know remembering the reader and stuff like that and, and, and that was quite useful um but um i think you know it was you know it was just a different age when there was jobs out there so it seemed pointless um, when you could actually learn and get paid for it. And, of course, you learn a huge amount because you're just putting stuff together. In those days, you used to do everything on the magazine. You used to go down to the printers. You used to go and do all the subbing. You, so, you, you know, you learn everything, and it was wonderful. So the actual, the actual writing part of it, like learning how to write, that's 
do you think you learned anything from doing a course in it or was that all from writing kind no, of I didn't learn anything from doing the yeah. course in it in terms of writing really that wasn't blindingly obvious but I learned how to write by being a journalist because you, you're suddenly really embarrassed realizing that people are going to read what you write and you know compared to the sort of stuff I'd written on my degree course which was just appalling and I can't imagine how anybody could even read it I learned how to write out of that sort of shame of thinking if people can't understand what you're saying what's the point you know and and it's just a really bad idea to to write stuff that makes no sense at all so I, I kind of you know at that point I pulled my socks up a bit and thought I've got to learn how to spell because my spelling was rubbish as well. <laughs> right so is that what you did on your your kind of first day as sort of like working for a zigzag magazine you yeah you just sort of sat down and thought well, I better work out how to write this thing. yeah I think yeah. it was it was yeah. like discovering it you know I wrote some many articles that were really appalling and it was a pretty you know amateurish magazine that was also allowed in those sort of ways so you could experiment and gradually find your style a bit I think there was a lot more leeway with stuff you could do you know articles I can remember you know like I did an article on the Jesus Mary chain as an advent calendar with sort of like <laughs> 26 different um you know 25 different facts about them done as, as an advert you know you could just do anything and, and it was easy then and that seems like you know fairly normal now but those days Magazines were really inventing themselves quite quickly. It was a very exciting time. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it didn't last very long. No. I mean, I suppose in some ways people might say, well, the 2010s are an exciting time, or ever since the internet's allowed people to write what they want. I mean, people aren't being paid for it, but yeah. you are at least, there is a sort yeah, of absolutely. somewhere where you can get your, your writing out there. Mm. And actually, I mean, I find I read a, a lot of good quality stuff online written by people who have no intention of getting paid, really. It's, yeah. But, but that doesn't... I suppose that doesn't really give anyone indica any indication as to how you become a writer as a as a thing because people need to earn money somehow. But they so do. so when you were working for Zig Zigzag, that was your full time job. You didn't have any other work then, or do you have I to was, supplement you know, other things? I was, you know, I I was working for all you know. I'd freelance for other magazines. There was lots of freelance going around. I started working for Smash Hits and and things like that. And um, you know, it was never hugely well paid. But it was very exciting. And, you know, you get flown around the world to do stuff. This was music journalism at the time. Yeah. Um, and and there was lots of it. And, you know, the, the great thing about whenever you get anything emerging and exciting like that, you get lots of really clever people going into it. And so I learned a lot from my peer group who are really clever. Right. And, you know, it was, you know, it was really learning from people who set their um, bar very high about what they were trying and you know that was a totally new idea what you mean you actually aim to be the best oh okay right. yeah. okay that's the point not just getting by you know I was amazed that anybody let me write it and I thought well, that's an achievement in itself but I was suddenly in the in the company of peers who actually wanted to you know kind of change the world a bit with what they're doing and that makes me think oh yeah actually maybe I should try to do something special you know so, so they were trying to build things that didn't yet exist really yeah well. and yeah. I think we're you know I mean, funnily enough, Smash Hits was the most idealistic bunch of people I've ever worked with. You know, right. they really, really thought we were, you know, they, they especially there was one or two people there who were so clever, but they thought they were, by being populist and getting into the bedrooms of all these young people, thought they were doing something that was actually quite groundbreaking. And they were, actually. I mean, they were changing language, making language a lot freer. They were, they were sort of, um, you know, there was a lot of snobbery about popular culture at the time, which you wouldn't get now. But, you know, it was just saying, well, no, popular culture is really meaningful. And we're going to write about it in the language of popular culture. We're not going to be academic saying how meaningful this is. Yeah. You know, we would. I mean, you know, Smash Hits in those days used to sell, um, what, uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand copies a fortnight. 
So, you know, a monthly it was like one and a half million. Yeah, I mean, that was like, we were up there with the um, Radio Times as the biggest selling magazines. You know, it was massively, you know, it's sort of gone now, but uh, as as a thing. But those times when you didn't have the internet, that was how young people communicated with each other in a weird way, by buying Smash It and saying, saying, we're part of this club. So we suddenly, we were in this really privileged position. It was really exciting. It was really interesting. That was the the idea from several people there. And I just think it's that thing, if if you actually go into the middle of something that's really... And you know it's an exciting area. You will meet people who are really clever, and I think that's you know. So I learned a lot from them. Yeah. You know. So you said you you said you were working at Zigzag, and you got freelance work through these other magazines. But how does that work? How do you kind of is it? How do you get work with other magazines if you're working for one particular one? Um, well, the magazine that I was working with was so small they knew they couldn't afford to have you exclusively. Okay. I then you know in the mid eighties I moved to work for Smash Hits full time. And they got a bit jealous about it, but we were also a bit arsy and we used to go to them, well, if you want us to be clever, you want us to be diverse. So we'll, you know, and they never could really argue about that because they weren't paying us a huge amount likewise. Yeah. But they did used to complain about us doing other freelancing, but they also knew that it was working. And if they if they got too angry with us as the staff, it would break. You know? Right. Not, so not, not uh, you know... So the work came about because you everyone knew each other basically, was yeah. it? Everyone was it working was a, for all the magazines, yeah. yeah. In the same way that we're in any profession, I suppose, someone say, "Oh, they need someone to do this," and then it might be on a different magazine. Yeah, right. yeah. So, so you never applied through job adverts or anything like that, um, did you? Even when you when you moved on from what, where did you go after working for Zigzag and Smash Hits and those? Um, I quite often go off on the huff and do a bit of freelancing just on my own, and then, and then uh, in the nineties. Things were already beginning to change, but there was a great magazine started up in uh, in New York. It's actually an existing magazine that a big publisher bought, and some friends of mine started work for it and invited me to join it called Details, and that was a New York-based magazine where it paid ridiculously well by British standards. Right. But also its standard of work, it was really eye-opener going to, you know, going to work in the American publishing thing because they had fact-checkers. You know, Every article would have a fact-checker assigned and they would go through your article and tell you, you know, they'd ask for all your notes and all this sort of stuff, like that, which was brilliant. I mean, it was really amazing. A lot of British people got really grumpy about it. Saying, oh, don't they believe me? Why can't I make it up? And, yeah. uh, and uh, it was amazing. I mean, the standard yeah. of work was fantastic and that was really exciting. So that lasted really till I did about, you know, I did about eight years there. And then, okay. and then that magazine folded, by which time we'd reached the sort of 2000 time by which magazines were folding fast and the internet was already beginning to have an effect that carried on being cumulative and magazines were going really really they were either they made the mistake all the magazines made the mistake of trying to chase the mass market at the time and and the internet was the mass market so actually the best thing for magazines to do and the only ones have survived are the ones that found little niches whether it's interiors or things like that the ones have gone away from the mass market all the old Red top ones have kind of died, and or, or they've done like the enemy, and they've become a free. Yeah, they had no which choice. No way to go. Me so sad looking at enemy nowadays. It's, I, know. Yeah, I know, but that, that that's how you know print journalism. I mean, it was it was a yeah. you know from two thousand to uh, you know for you know has ne- since then it's been a terrible time for journalism. I mean, journalism yeah. has really not thrived at all. Uh, and you know, I think there's pockets of it which are making sense and, and finding it. But can, you know, I think it's difficult if you work in you know if you spend ten fifteen years in it, working at a time when it's great and uh, you you suggest an idea and people say yeah go and do that and it, you know in America they could they pay you for like six months to go and research an article. Yeah. So it, you know by 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 the end of the noughties it was like really 
you know, I was having to do web editing jobs and stuff like that, and and, and I was having to apply for jobs. Oh, okay. So, so when you were doing the the web um, editing, did you did you do much web journalism? Did you get any paid web journalism? No web journalism. Well, I did actually. Yeah, I did get bits and pieces of it, um, but it was never very satisfactory, and it was always um, just a bit of a you know, it was a bit of a letdown really. Right. So, who was this for? Was this for like sort of? Previously, print magazines that had gone to the web. Or, okay, occasionally, yeah. I did some stuff for Rolling Stone and stuff like okay, that. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, who else? I can't really remember. I mean, there yeah. wasn't a lot of it, to be honest. Yeah. And it wasn't something I chased very hard because, you know, I thought mistakenly, I thought, well, if if it's all going to the web, then I should just, you know, where's the money in in the web? I'll be become a web editor, which was also a mistake because there's no money in that either. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, at the time, I you know I had quite young kids so it had to earn a living so I took a couple of jobs in that sort of web stuff and and, and uh, for various reasons actually hated it it's yeah. horrible so, but you always managed to earn a living just through writing did you you never had to like go and do other I mean other people that I've talked to before like musicians and people like that have made just about enough for your music but often had to go and get other jobs as well mm-hmm. and but you never you always managed to well, I think by the, by the effectively, the web editing stuff wasn't really writing at all. Okay. Because it, in the end, it was just sort of um, putting content onto the web and, and um, talking to various web designers and, and, you know, other people to commission bits of a, of a website for, you know, stuff and things like that. And it wasn't very satisfying. And so if, effectively, by then, I wasn't doing a lot of paid writing at all. I'd disappear off. I mean, I still had sort of, I was still doing, disappearing off and doing odd articles for The Observer or New York Times at the time. Which right. was just about keeping my dignity, right? <laughs> and did you, when when you were doing those kind of articles, um, how I mean, how does it work? With do you kind of choose what you're writing about a lot of the time when you're a journalist, or are you kind of given things to write about? In those de- in the earlier days, yes, completely. You'd be very much expected to come up with interesting ideas and justify them if it came to an editorial meeting about what it was. In that set, in that sort of second phase, because I had quite a reputation from having worked in the nineties whatever editors would then call you up and say can you do such and such an right. artist or yeah. you know um but that was a there wasn't very much of it but but you know that or you could also see the editors were struggling by then do you know what i mean you're still you know the american magazines always paid well but you know they were always you know they'd commission you to write something to two thousand words and then they'd call you up and say i'm sorry this the magazine just been cut down can we pay you for 2,000 but printed at 1,000 or can we pay you just for 1,000? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it was, you could definitely feel things were slipping away. So, but, so I noticed, um, I was seeing on your Wikipedia page, you did some articles on living with Stone Age survivalists and mm. undercover at cross burnings and, uh, yeah. and with the Church of Scientology. So all those things you you sourced as stories yourself, did you? They were things you were, you were particularly interested in and went out to do. Yeah, apart yeah. from the desert one, that was I had a great editor and he suggested that for me. I'd already done a couple of pieces that required me to sort of go, not really, you know, undercover makes it sound very glamorous, but in which I'd go and, and become a participant and um, right. report as much as anything. Um, and, um, that, you know, that was for Details Magazines, who had these immense budgets to do long-term research. And, and it was it was something that I sort of did quite a lot of in the 90s and really liked doing and wrote a couple of books well wrote one book that was sort of based on that on new religious movements where I hung around for you know the best part of a year joining six different religious sorts of right. cults and um and is that all you were doing at the time that was kind of that was all you were up to just hang, just joining these cults you didn't have to oh, no, work I, doing no, other no, work I was well. doing other work as well oh you were yeah, doing other yeah, work as well yeah, yeah. 
Because I think that's the most mysterious thing, really, to um, to people who are wondering, you know, what life of a writer is like or the life of a musician or something. It's like you see the products that people, or the, the, the articles or the books that people put out, but you know what people do in between. It's kind of quite mysterious what people are doing in between. So you, you're, you're always writing an article for this magazine and then, Maybe that's going through. It hasn't quite been published. Then you're doing another yeah, one for someone a, else. It's a long yeah. chain of stuff. You know, yeah. I don't think you can. I mean, you know, even on that. And I was in the incredibly lucky position to be able to concentrate on, or you know, on one or two pieces because of the way in which this American magazine paid. But yeah, you've st- you've got a chain of stuff. Obviously, you've yeah. got to keep keep that going because otherwise you finish one. There's nothing else happening. So is it is it really a does it. It's not a nine-to-five job because you're not going to work in between those hours, but were you working pretty much full-time hours doing doing all these things, really? Yeah, so, and, yeah. and at various parts of it, you work very long days. You know, when yeah. the deadline's coming up, you work very late in the night to finish it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Partly because I think that's the nature of, of deadline work. You tend to um, you tend to leave everything to the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, And I think there's a certain, you know, in a way that's slightly necessary, you need a kind of panic to kick it and also you need to, to have that that thing where you have all the facts in front of you if you're trying to write a long article sometimes it's, it's just that hyper sort of concentration thing you need to just be thinking about it quite hard and sometimes that involves I mean you would work you, you wouldn't go to sleep one night and you'd carry on working and you'd be finishing at six o'clock in the morning but yeah. that kind of thinking can help you right. know what I mean so you, you did the you, you were saying before about how um, when you had young children it became like a bit harder to you know Working out how to work, work, the free, work the freelance work around it. How did how did that work? You know, obviously, when you have small children, your life becomes a little bit more prescribed as to how you need to live it. Did you manage to work the freelance work around it? Because going obviously going off to live with a Stone Age tribe for a week isn't really as easy then, is it? When you have have smaller children. No, and and yeah. you you learn things too late. You know, you always you 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 make. I mean, when I I had a big project to to write in South Central Los Angeles. Um, which was going to take a year. And so I decided to move our very young family. We had an 18-month-old daughter and move out there, which is just fantastic. Great idea, lovely, let's do that. But, of course, it's not a great yeah. idea. Yeah. But you learn that afterwards. You learn, you know, and I think, you know, it's like that thing with, the, just with families. You don't really know how to do them until you've got them. You know, yeah. and I think, it is, you know, it's a disruptive kind of job and, and you just need to be, you know... Uh, luckily, my partner works sort of odd situations and hours herself, so she was... You know, we it was at some give and take on that. Yeah. But yeah, it that was hard, and, yeah. it, and I was a bit rubbish at it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that must have been because when you you moving to another country as well, like you don't even know how the whole system is. You know, is there is there yeah, things it's like crashes or something here? Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's yeah. a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at least it was hot in South Central LA, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You didn't have that that going about it. Yeah. So, um, I think people also wonder when when you're working as a freelance writer. It means money comes in at different times, kind of thing. Is has that always worked out okay for you? You um, you have no, times I mean, when you have no money at all. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Yeah. And it's very hard, and you know it. It changes because financial systems aren't very. I mean, although you know, pretty much everybody these days in Britain is working in some sort of role as a freelance now. You know, the the gig economy seems to be turning to everything. You know, so everybody's got this thing. I can remember it being exasperating. You know. In, in the 90s, people wouldn't give you a loan because you're a freelance. 
or if they would, they'd say, we want you to insure your loan, which is the PPI scandal kicking in. <laughs> yes. but, but, you know, and I'd say, but, you know, nobody can sack me. However broke I get, I've still got some money coming in. Yeah. Nobody, and I had pe- new people in full-time jobs, they could be sacked and they have nothing. So you've got, you've got the security of always knowing that there's something around, but it does get quite squeaky at times. Well, and, and like you say, it is crazy, isn't it? Because in some ways, freelancers are the most resourceful people yeah. in society. And also, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, much, no, you know, we, we can't be sacked, which is a big problem. <laughs> you know, we still have to yeah. carry on, you know. You know, I mean, I think that's that's the thing. It's And it, I just think it's the financial services, you know, they like to keep their grip on you however they can, don't they? Yes. So now, now you're, now you've, Moved on. You're a crime fiction writer, mm-hmm. and you've um, you you said you've been doing that since 2012. Mm. So, how does that feel nowadays with um, with writing? You, you are you set more set hours when you're doing that now, or is it is it become more like a? Is it... <laughs> That's okay. There's been quite a lot of cats in these podcasts, so it wouldn't be the first. She disagrees with whatever I say. <laughs> um, it's it's very similar, except it's not. You know, it's, it's very it's it's a lot more. Um, you know, I'm just occupied generally with a single task of finishing a book a year. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is the more successful you get, more tasks appear. You have to do a lot more promotion. Publishing's changed massively. Before writers would expect publishers to do everything, publishers can't do everything yeah. anymore. The industry has become much more fragmented, so you have to do a lot of your own marketing. What does that involve? What, what do you mean by your own marketing? Um, well, it involves doing social media. It involves writing articles about your book sort of subject areas for blogs and things like that. It involves um, doing stuff like this. It involves going to events quite a lot. Um, it feels like, you know, when I was in um, a, a music journalist, you'd meet these bands who'd just come back from America, these tiny little British bands, and they'd been slogging it out across America doing tiny little gigs to five people up and down the Midwest. And I think all writers are like that, actually. Do you know what I mean? You have to go, you have to... Um, there used to be bookshops all over the place. There aren't now. So how do, how do book buyers find out who you are? And so you have to increase the number of places in which you're seen. You just have to do that. I mean, it's a, it's a real fact of modern publishing. And there are writers who can't do this, and they're disadvantaged in yeah. this day and age. I mean, this, this is what's changed. Because the old idea of a writer in a garret is a very lovely one, but it doesn't exist anymore. It's very hard for that kind of writer to thrive, unless there are complete geniuses, and there are complete geniuses. But in the main, does that mean that our field of writers now are generally going to be the more confident, outgoing ones? Uh, I think that's the real danger, actually. Yeah. You know, I think the people who, you know, a lot, I mean, it's interesting if you look in crime fiction, a lot of the people who have actually made careers entirely for themselves are, are people who um, at least understand marketing. That doesn't necessarily mean they're outgoing because you can do a lot of the stuff of marketing without making yourself the focus of marketing if you do it right. And there's some brilliant people who um, just do their own marketing. And actually, you right. know, like there's a couple of women in crime and, and that's what they were. They were marketing people and they decided to go into books, you know. Right. Uh, and that's why they knew how to how to make Amazon work for them and, and Facebook work for them and all this sort of stuff like that. And, I, you know, I'm in awe of them because I'm struggling around doing that stuff, but you have to do it. So they started in marketing and then became authors. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, and do, do you do you enjoy doing that part of it? How, how does that well go? i i mean i think like all good writers i like a good distraction you know right. <laughs> i don't think it's very useful to sit down in front of a, a computer screen and write for eight hours solid i don't think that produces a great deal so it's quite good to have other low-level tasks that you do through the day so if marketing's one of them that's fine the only trouble is that's in front of a computer as well and yeah. actually that's not very healthy yeah so i suppose if you can get out and talk to people about what you 
do. And your yeah, blood's that's, that's actually better, isn't I it? I mean, I've yeah. always thought, I can remember, you know, I did a, before I was, you know, when I was uh, trying to be writer, I always used to do do things around it. And, and one of them was organising book events and things like that. And I always thought, wow, it's so easy to get writers out of their rooms, isn't it? I wonder why that is. <laughs> and it's quite obvious why it is, because they, yeah. they, they don't get out much. And, and they kind of like talking about themselves as well, I think, yeah, isn't it? Something a lot of the time, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is a part of writing, isn't it, I suppose, is that you're putting all this stuff down on paper, but some of your motivation for it in the background of it is that you want to tell people your ideas, and it's just another format for telling people... Well, also, I, I, you know, the thing about writing is that I don't think it's complete till anybody's re- read it, if you know what I mean. And yeah. So you do want people to read it, you really do. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think, you know, it's, a, it's you know, not everybody's, um, you know... Um, I've forgotten her name now. Famous American poet. Short sentences. Short words. Never showed her poems to anybody. You'd know her if I, if yeah. I said her name. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like that idea that your writers just write for themselves. Well, if they do, I, do, I think that's half the value of a word because the words words are actually about, you know, it's an exchange, isn't it? And if, if they're not being exchanged, then it, what you write doesn't exist. So you do want to get them out there. Yeah. So, But when you're actually, when you're actually sat down and you're, you're not doing the marketing bit, you're actually doing the writing bit, is that an enjoyable process for you? Is it not today? Not today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. it's massively enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's the best. You know, I mean, I've done lots of things. It's the most yeah. fun I've ever had. It's right. It's just wonderful and satisfying. And you said before we started that you were very pleased to be earning a living through crime fiction now rather than journalism. Mm. So, what's so much better about fiction writing than being a journalist? Well, I think partly journalism became very hard, and and and. Uh, I did very well in it, but I was really conscious. There was a few of my colleagues who I really admired, who I thought were really brilliant. I never thought I was um, as good as them at it. Um, and in this, I feel I'm doing something I can be really good at. You know, and it's just that satisfaction. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I keep saying to them, well, why don't you do this as well? And they say, you can't, well, I can't do that. And I think, oh, can't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what, what was it about them did they do that you thought was so brilliant as far as being a journalist goes? What I think I think the type of journalism I liked was that real sort of stuff. It's not about necessarily being clever or witty or anything like that. It's about getting inside a story and making sure that you've got all your sources there and you're clever about finding your sources and about how you approach them and how you interview them and then turning into a story that nobody else could have written. Right. You know, uh, and I think um, that we were kind of keen on that in, in Smash It's that we weren't the stars so much as, as getting inside the story and things like that and, and details afterwards, you know. Um, that actually it was that idea that you'd, you'd find a point of view and a story that nobody else could have seen and written, and yet it was really valid and true, and it could be about politics or it could be about, you know, culture. And it was great, and people, some people are brilliant at that. And America really sort of respects that as an art form, so it was nice to work on that. I think one of the difficulties is that as the money's got out of that, journalism's all about opinion and humour, and not actually about dredging in, going out there and researching, because it was, it was almost like an academic discipline, journalism in those days, not... I mean, but but defiantly unacademic, you know, but it was like you've got to do the research. If you're going to write a story, you've got to do the research. You've got to go know more than anybody else about what you're writing about at that time, you know. And I like that. Yeah. But there were people who were really good at it. And I wasn't, you know. So you're talking in some way about having um, an, a voice that these people have, that, are, like yeah. you say, that you can yeah, like, so. I mean, I think of John Ronson or someone like that, who yeah. I really like as a yeah. journalist, because I always know it's a John Ronson article, yeah. Yeah, even if he's not actually mentioned himself in yeah. it. Yeah. Because, yeah, so um, I suppose, would that be what you'd perhaps suggest to people who, despite journalism being a hard thing to do nowadays, is that is that what you'd think you'd do starting out, try and find this sort of like, this approach that's your own approach, really, completely, is it? Writing? Completely, yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing, whether it's fiction or non-fiction or anything like that, finding your voice yeah. is a massive... Uh, 
step forward. And the only way in which you find your voice isn't by sitting around thinking, I wonder what my voice is. It's yeah. just by writing a lot of stuff. And yeah. then you write something and you're not even conscious of why you wrote it that way. And suddenly you read it and you think, oh, that actually works. And then you, you can pick it apart. But you can't, you know, maybe some people can actually decide what their voice is going to be just by reading lots of other people. I don't think you can. I don't think you can find what suits you unless you write a lot of stuff. You just have to write lots, yeah. you know. And then you find a way in which that just actually feels honest to you. I mean, it can't, it can't be that different, really, from being um, a singer in a band, really, isn't it? I mean, they find yeah, their voice, isn't it? Exactly. And they, they have these words they've written and they sing them in a certain way because yeah. it fits. And I suppose I suppose voice and content have to fit together well, yeah. don't they, like you? Yeah. And the things you're proud of saying and the things that you don't want to say, just knowing what they are, do you know what I mean? And, yeah, I think, I think it's just experimentation, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, found his voice. Yeah, yes. So... Other stuff do you do? You so you have you only living through being a crime writer nowadays. Do you do? Because um, other other people as I speak to say sometimes I do this as paid work. Sometimes this is free work. Do you do much work for for no money now that you really like doing, or is it? And did you when you were when you were starting out? Did you do much sort of writing for free for people for stuff you really wanted to do as well? No, when I was when I was uh, starting out, probably not actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was very different. You didn't have to then. Yeah. And there was also a philosophy then, which people now talk about very loudly, but really do with, you had to pay. You didn't do stuff that wasn't paid. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, because there was money in, you know, words. There was an acknowledgement then that words cost money. There, That's gone. And that's a real yeah. loss. I mean, it's a major, major loss if you want to be a writer. Because it's, you know, whatever people, you know, I mean, it's really difficult because it sounds like such an old duffer now. Because I came from a time when when words were worth quite a lot, if you treated them like a commodity, like oil or anything like that, it'd be really interesting to see the, the worth of words over time because words have become almost valueless. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Yeah. Because they, they were a valuable commodity and now they're not really. I, I um, remember sort of changing my view of reading kind of like um, words on the internet to start with, like, like you say, when we went from print to web to start with, it'd be like you read something someone had written and you knew they hadn't been paid for it. And psychologically I would already have devalued that because mm. I knew it wasn't being paid for but I think actually over time of the internet existing my mind slightly changed mm. over that in that now I will read some articles say on Medium or some some portals that are quite well respected where you know there's some kind of editorial process gone on with them and actually I don't kind of feel quite that way about it anymore and as far as like okay. earning a living yeah. goes from I don't know, how do you, how do you feel? Do you, have you sort of changed your view of that? or? I think it's interesting in fiction, because, I mean, fiction's a really interesting one that there's a lot of people who write stuff for very little, there's a lot of stuff, people that are effectively writing stuff for free and putting it out as, as uh, 99p Kindle books and stuff like that. And actually, they can sell quite a lot, so people are valuing it. But I think there's, a, I think there's part of the mindset there that <coughs> does want to see a thing. And, and, you know, it's interesting, if you hand people a manuscript as a pile of a paper and you say, read it, and they, yeah. they, uh, and they read it as a man... And they'll, they'll pick holes in it. Yeah. But they get it as a book published with a cover. Oh, this is marvellous work. Marvellous. <laughs> yeah. You know. Sometimes and I think that's quite interesting. So there yeah. is a kind of validation with yeah. with uh, with that. But it's, you know, it's fuzzier at the bottom. I, you know, I mean, I think writing still writing, communication still communication, so it has to have a value. Yeah. I just think it's a shame because um, it leads to types of writing that are... are self-reflexive rather than going out to the world because if you're not getting paid you can't spend you can't afford to spend six months working out what you're going to say yeah you, you, they tend to be you know there's a lot more diarizing and stuff like that going on in it and and uh, opinions that can be hilarious or deep and profound but 
actually don't require a lot of phone picking up or talking to people because you can't do that. You know, so that's, that's, that's the difficult journalism. It's yeah. not can't be. And yet, it, and yet there it. are still some still some great bits of that around. You know, how do you how do you um, feel about like say I noticed the Guardian recently has managed to get itself quite a lot of subscribers who now yeah. who pay a certain amount each year, and they seem to be slightly changing their business model as far as are, journalism yeah. goes. And, it seems to be. I, did, I never expected it to work, but it seems to be at least working to a degree. I think? hope so because they've yeah. been losing a lot of money. Yeah. And you, well, you wouldn't like the Guardian to despair, would you? I mean, in the current no. climate. <laughs> yes. You know, when you have the other, you know, when when the Telegraph and the Times have gone so mad, you know, I mean, they're both bonkers in terms of journalism now. That you know, there's not very much good journalism happening in that sort of wet sort of place. Um, I mean, not to say they're not. I mean, stuff that you know, they it was a Telegraph who did the expenses scandal and stuff like that. So they still yeah. do some, but actually, a lot of their stuff is now just um, deliberately targeted audience getting sort of clickbait, clickbait yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, I think I, mean, I hope it works. Yeah, well, I, I think I read they had two hundred thousand subscribers recently. Yeah. So uh, I think it was like 50 quid a year or something. That's yeah, something, that's like, isn't that's, it? That's, that's yeah. probably as much yeah. as I ever spent on the Guardian when I was buying it. So yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and so maybe possibly that's a future of journalism, I suppose, for well-respected publications. Maybe that I, I think the New York Times do a similar do, yeah. similar thing, don't they? So Yeah, let's hope yeah. because you know, I do think it's an important part. You know, that said, you know, I mean I think the the fact is that if anybody wants to learn to write and write journalism, you will have to do a lot of free stuff. I mean, you will do. That's just yeah. the way it is. You've got to. the The market's different from when I was a kid, and um, it's, it's, you know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to build a portfolio of stuff. But that you know, just, I, I'd say that you've still got to be careful about giving anything away. If you're going to be writing for free, you still have to make sure that you're in a context that's valuable to yourself yeah. and to what you you know respects what you've done. So. If you were your your dropping out of college self now, yeah. what do you think you'd be? Uh, and it was two thousand and seventeen. What do you think you'd be doing if you were really wanting to be a journalist? So I'd be going into be going vid- video stuff. I wouldn't be going into written word. Okay, into video, video making so, online. Don't know. Videos. I mean, it just seems to me that's the form that that is at the moment. You know, and like if you're looking for exciting areas that are doing stuff and going somewhere, I wouldn't be going into writing. Right. I think okay. writing's because of it. You know, um, I mean, I'm very pleased I did, but. Uh, it, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I think writing's a, I think it's almost, you know, occasionally asked to go and talk about journalism and, you know, you asked to do it on, on courses where doing it. And, and I think that's a bit bizarre because I don't think journalism's a career anymore, yeah. except for a handful of people. It's actually a skill set, not a career. And I think, you know, that's the, writing's a brilliant skill set, you know, and you shouldn't not have it. You know, not enough people know how to do that skill set, but for very few people, is it a career? So are you saying as a for a, if you want to be a journalist, being able to edit videos and that kind of thing is also. Oh, part I think of it's that. I think yeah. it's really I yeah. think it's really crucial, and I think I, I think if I'd been eighteen, I'd have been really excited by that because you see the possibilities yeah. of of matching visuals and you know that thing about you know when I you know the idea that you can actually with minimal equipment produce high quality stuff that can be really with eloquent, phone, really yeah, quality. exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, my daughter's on a on a on a documentary journalism course. And half of them are saying, don't take a camera, just use your phone. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because, it, you know, it just is so liberating. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's the pervasive medium. And I think if you want to say stuff in those days, I'd, I'd have been really attracted to that. So where do you think the, for people who are making, um, you know, journalistic videos at the moment, how are they using those to earn money? Where, where's that, where does that work? Well, I, th- I, I think, you know, well, A, that I think, you know, YouTube is, is 
does reduce revenue, doesn't it? If you're saying yeah. eloquent stuff, and B, you have to have quite a lot of views to yeah, you're, make you're, it you're producing packages. But I mean, yeah. I, I still think that would have been. But also, people are commissioning people to make stuff. Do you know what I yeah. mean? You know, even if it's you're having to exist on a bit of corporate stuff to do it, I think there's there's some money in that industry. I'm sounding very breadhead about it, but you know, I well, just no, but we are talking you know, about how do you how do you make a living out of doing something? So yeah. it's not just about doing I, it because you love it. I, I just yeah. thought that would have been you know I can imagine that would be you know the attraction. I'm not trying to put off, put off people from writing. I want people to become writers, but I just imagine you should, you asked what I'd be doing, and, yeah. and actually I'd have been doing something completely different. Right. No, no, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, how do you sort of? I always think about like what um, it means to feel successful about what you want to do. Yeah. Like you've you've you're, you're now a crime fiction writer. That must feel quite successful. You've got books in bookshops or whatever. How has it how's it gone along your sort of writing life? How have you felt successful about what what you do? Well, I, I, that's, that's, I mean, I, one of the, you know, part of the reason I was being journalist is I wanted to be a fiction writer. It's been a long time. Okay, right. <laughs> that was always your intention. Yeah, yeah, it? absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, so I feel quite successful now. <laughs> right. So you've got to the thing that you were thinking yeah. would make, make yeah. feel successful. After many yeah. bumps in the road. But, yeah. you know, so, it was, so it's been good. I mean, it's, also, I did have huge respect for that kind of long form nonfiction stuff and, and really wanted to do that. But, um yeah, how do I, I mean? I think yeah, successful. It, it feels. Uh, it's always out of reach, isn't it? Success. I don't think you're ever yeah. very satisfied with where you are. Are you? Yeah, you've got five books in the shops. You want ten in the shops. Yeah, exactly. Something. Yeah, want them to sell them all. <laughs> yes. want them to be on the yeah. right shelf. Yeah, but I mean, because some some people um, I speak to say that actually making their if they're especially if they're like fine artists or something they say yeah. like make just having the a couple of days a week just to do their paintings and maybe they'll put them in a in a friend's gallery or something yeah. for a bit. That to them is success or whatever. But is it for a writer, do you feel, like you were saying earlier, really, if no one's reading what you're writing, that, that's got to be a part of it, really, has it, you think, for writers? I think it's also different. I think some yeah. people, you know, I think it's quite useful to never feel you've reached the place that you've yeah. got to be. It doesn't necessarily yeah. make you happy, but, um, you know, I'm quite happy with it. But, you know, like, it, yeah, I think it's, I think permanent... Dissatisfaction is 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 useful if you want to keep moving forwards. I mean, what would you do when you got there if you didn't yeah, get there? Yeah, exactly. you think of something else to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I'm at the moment. I'm, uh, you know, I am in a place where I I have been trying to get to for many years. I'm very happy. Right. You know. Okay. Well, that probably seems like a good place to wrap things up. Then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. uh, thanks very much, William, for being on the podcast, and um, thank you very much for listening. Pleasure. And goodbye. Yeah.